Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Well, we're going, we don't need Rhodes. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I am your father. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And how you doing today, Phil? I'm, I'm dying. You're not dying. You just can't think of anything good to do. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> so uh, that's Phil as Cameron and myself as Ferris Bueller uh, doing one of the movies we'll be talking about in today's episode. That would be Ferris Bueller's Day Off, of course. A- when Cameron a- was <laughs> in Egypt's land, let my Cameron, Cameron go. go. Yeah, it's going to be hard to make it through this episode without just quoting Ferris Bueller every five minutes because I, I think that is one of those movies that I can certainly, you know, just about do every hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's too many. Yeah, it that really didn't is. even make any sense. There's no context for that one. Rudy! Uh, anyway. Hey, that sounded like it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so, Phil, we're doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off today, obviously. What else are we, do we have on tap for our listeners? Well, for... An unknown reason, it's a Matthew Broderick double bill. We'll also be doing the fantasy epic Lady Hawk, which starred Broderick, Rutger Hauer, and Michelle Pfeiffer. We've also got a Mighty Morphin mini feature, uh, which we will explain when we get to it, but it's worth listening to because we're going to try and... It's a bit of a guessing game for Mike and myself. And we will be doing our top 10 films of the year 1953. Yes, it is an action-packed episode. So uh, why don't we jump into things then, Phil? And so we'll, uh, we'll start off with Lady Hawk. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. Well, Lady Hawk 1985, like you said, starring Matthew Broderick, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Rutger Hauer, directed by the great Richard Donner. And uh, just a terrific fantasy film. If you haven't seen it, it is my second favorite Matthew Broderick film after Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and it is, it is a wonderful little movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, pause this episode, go watch it, and then come back and pick up right here. Yeah, it's a good film. Uh, it looks beautiful. Be- uh, the, the scenery involved is amazing. It was filmed in Italy, and it looks beautiful. Stunning shots. Uh, great scenes. So you've got, the old, you've got the old towns and castles and things, which are just perfect for a film such as this. But you've also got the you've also got the uh, the soundtrack uh, composed by Andrew Powell and produced by Alan Parsons, and it's a bit it's a mix of uh, orchestral music and Gregorian chants with some progressive rock, and I, I, in my opinion, it never quite worked. Right, right. Yes. Yeah, so okay then. So do you want to give us the uh, the rundown of the film for people who haven't seen it? All right. Well, Philippe Gaston, better known as Mouse, played by Matthew Broderick, is a thief in the medieval kingdom of Aquila. He escapes from the dungeons, and when he's about to be captured by the captain of the guard, he is rescued by the former captain of the guard, a hardened, gruff man named Navarre, with a hawk as a companion. He leaves with Navarre, and that night he meets a mysterious woman and encounters a large black wolf. Navarre eventually reveals that he's going to kill the evil Bishop of Aquila, who cursed him and his lover Isabeau because he, the bishop, was also in love with Isabeau. As a result of the curse, she turns into a hawk by day and he turns into a wolf by night so they can never truly be together. 
Mouse enlists the help of a drunken priest named Imperius, who reveals that they can break the curse by facing the bishop on, a quote, a day without a night and a night without a day. Ooh. Although Navarre pretty much dismisses this as impossible. So Sounds the group, crazy. Yeah. The group sneaks into Aquila so that Navarre can try and kill the bishop. And just as he's about to kill him, which will leave them cursed forever, the sun goes into a solar eclipse. Isabeau transforms back into a woman and they face the bishop together, breaking the curse. Then the bishop tries to kill Isabeau and Navarre in return kills the bishop and the lovers are reunited. Fade uh, to black. Um, lovely. Very nice it is. It's magical. It's fantasy. Yeah. It's romance. It's action. It's humor. It's got everything you could want in a movie. Yeah. Yep. It was also good seeing uh, John Wood in it in the film. Yeah. He he was the Bishop of Aquila, the bad guy, but uh, he, he was Professor Falcon in War Games, which also starred Matthew Broderick. Oh, that's right. Look at that. Which was a nice little thing, yeah. Yeah, very cool. And for those of you who want to hear our After the Ending for War Games, that was episode six. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Good one. All right. So, Phil, why don't you take us through your day after? Okay, the day after. The curse broken, Navarre and Isabeau spend every waking moment together. Isabeau, who is daughter of the Comte d'Anjou, is now the rightful ruler of Aquila. She pardons Philippe Gaston of all crimes, and plans are made for Navarre and Isabeau's wedding. Gaston revels in the fine clothes and room that he now has, and Isabeau and Navarre say he will always be welcome in Aquila. And that's my day after. What have you got for yours? All right, well, it's not, it's not too different yet, but uh, here we go. So with the bishop dead and the captain of the guard defeated, the people embrace Navarre, who is always beloved by the public, for his fair and just manner. They reinstate him as the captain of the guard, and he and Isabeau immediately begin planning a wedding. Navarre tells Imperius that if he can clean up his act and stop being a drunk, Navarre will see to it that he's in position to be considered for the replacement bishop position. Philippe makes plans to venture out into the countryside and continue being a thief, but Navarre has plans of his own for him. And that's my day after. Oh, nice. I like the way you got uh, Imperius involved again. Yeah, I thought, you know, yeah. he was a, he was a fun part of the movie, so I yeah, kind of had yeah. to... He doesn't play a huge part in my endings, but he, he shows up, so... Well, he plays no part in mine. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how about your immediate aftermath, Phil? Okay, well, Gaston, he's always had itchy feet, and he can't stay long in, in Aquila, so he, he heads off for more adventure. Navarre gives him a purse full of money and tells him to try and stay out of trouble. He hopes that if, if uh, Gaston's got money in his pocket, he's going to be less likely to steal things. Uh, time moves on, and Navarre and Isabeau have children, twins, a boy and a girl, called Martin and Agnes, and life is good. The land is peaceful. Gaston wanders, uh, wanders the land, visits town to town, stays out of trouble on the whole, uh, has a few adventures, but he starts he starts becoming a better person and, and builds on, him, on what he's... Uh, what he's learned with his adventures with Navarre and Isabeau. And that's my immediate aftermath. Very nice. Now, it just dawns on me that I've been calling him Philippe and you've been calling him Gaston. So for any listeners who aren't oh, as yeah. familiar with this movie, we are talking about the same character. Philippe Gaston is his name. Philippe or, Gaston. Or Mouse. Yes. So any of those three names, <laughs> we're talking about Matthew Broderick. Yes. Just want to clear that up. That's a good point. <laughs> Okay, so what about your immediate aftermath? All right, well, Navarre fills the king in about what the bishop was up to and the way he ruled the kingdom in a sort of an evil way. And the king gives Navarre his blessing as the captain of the guard of Aquila, making him official in the position and unofficially sort of the king's surrogate, the, the kind of ruler in Aquila. 
Mm-hmm. Isabeau and Navarre have a wedding, and Isabeau, who is kind and gentle and beloved by all the people of Aquila, is seen as something of a princess, with Navarre treated like a prince. Mouse is Navarre's best man, and Imperius, who has stopped drinking, performs the ceremony. The entire kingdom of Aquila rejoices. After things settle down, Navarre and Isabeau meet with Philippe and finally reveal their plans for him. They want to make him into a prince. Ah. And that's where we'll leave things for now. Very nice. All right, Phil, so wrap it up for us. Let's hear your long term. Okay, many years later, Philippe Gaston, a.k.a. the mouse, <laughs> just get all the names in there. <laughs> Nicely done. He's now a successful jeweler. He's, he's, he spent many time traveling, stealing things. Then he realized he had an eye for, for jewelry, and he got involved in buying and selling and trading and even making it. And he's, uh, he's very successful, very wealthy. He travels all o- around the world or as far as the world allows, but he always returns to Aquila to see his friends Navarre and is a boat, and he's also a very uh, loving uncle to the children. He always he always brings them gifts, and he can never always wait to see them, and they always love to see him. And he tells them of all the the, the tricks and escapades he got up to in his youth. But this time he's returning to Aquila, and the night before he gets to the castle, he is attacked by a large black wolf, but manages to evade its fangs and claws and survives. Worried the curse is back, he returns to the castle as quickly as he can, and is very pleased to see Navarre and Isabeau are fine and untransformed. They are pleased to see him, but at the mention of the wolf attack, a look of fear and pain passes over them. They explain that when the twins turn 13, the curse hit them. But Agnes, the girl, is the wolf, and Martin is the hawk. They are unable to return to human form at all, and have been lost in the wild for months. Gaston vows to help and sets out with Navarre. After a week of hunting, they eventually track down the hawk and successfully trap it. But while they are securing it, the wolf attacks Navarre. Gaston jumps between them and grabs hold of the wolf, even as it bites and claws him. As he feels his life slowly drain from it, from him, Gaston whispers, Come back to us, Martin. Your family loves you. I love you. With his final breath, he dies. His sacrifice and love break the curse. Martin and Agnes return to human form and the family are reunited once more. They mourn the death of Philippe Gaston and a national holiday is declared to honour his memory. And that's the end. Phil, that was beautiful. Thank you very much. That's the second week in a row you've gotten tears in my eyes from your endings. I think that's going to be my aim every week now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'll let you in a little secret. Making me cry during a movie or even an imagined movie is not a hard thing to do. I am the biggest yeah, sad in I the world. That, yeah. I will cry at a good Hallmark commercial. Like I, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take a lot for me to to start tearing up there. But that was very nicely done. I, I enjoyed that very much. Very sad much. as I am that Philippe didn't make it, I think it was a well earned uh, demise and and yeah. very nicely done. Thank you. Well, I'm glad I can say I can bring things up a little bit. So I was hoping you'd be able to lift our spirits a bit after mine. Yeah, I've been on a bit of a kind of a, a little optimistic, sappy streak, streak lately, I guess. So, <laughs> um, so this isn't going to break that streak. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, here's what I've got. So, Philippe is astonished when he hears Navarre's plan for him. Navarre tells Philippe that he is kind, resourceful, intelligent, and well liked by the people, and he would be a great ruler for the land. It turns out that Isabeau is distant cousins with the king's third daughter, Sophie, who is known for being a bit of a nonconformist and is therefore having a hard time finding someone to marry that she approves of, despite the king's best efforts to marry her off via an arranged marriage. She refuses to participate in that, however. Isabeau and Navarre arrange a meeting, and Philippe and Sophia hit it off. The king is skeptical at first, but as Philippe and Sophia are courting, he is won over by Philippe's personality and clever nature. Eventually, the king gives his blessing, and Philippe and Sophia marry. Navarre is Philippe's best man, and the land rejoices. As a royal couple, Philippe and Sophia work hard to improve living conditions for the common man, and the land becomes a better place for it. Oh, that's, that's very nice as well. Thank you. 
And then in the yeah, post credit scene, the Dread Pirate Roberts uh, arrives and throws everything <laughs> into chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Now, that wasn't really in there, but I just thought of it. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, you could. They do actually, yeah, the bits, the fantasy bits in uh, The Princess Bride. Yeah. It yeah. has a similar feel to the landscape of uh, in uh, Lady Hawk. I could definitely see Lady yeah. Hawk and Princess Bride existing in the same universe. Do you know what yeah, I mean? They're yeah. not, I mean, they're different tone of films, obviously, but they're very similar in terms of their design. And, you know, the just they just seem like they could definitely take place in, in, the, in the same world. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Oh, I've just uh, I've just heard as well that uh, my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend <laughs> heard from this guy who knows this kid who's going with a girl. Uh, what does that make really... us? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they uh, they quite enjoyed our ending, so that's good. Good to know. Very good. <laughs> All right, Phil. So uh, I know you're a bit of a, a trivia hawk. <laughs> see what I did there? Oh, yes. <laughs> so why don't you see? Why don't you share what trivia you might have for us? Okay. Uh, Richard Donner originally wanted Rutger Hauer to play the evil captain of the guard, and Kurt Russell was cast to play Navarre. Hmm. And he he was involved in everything, but he ended up leaving during rehearsals and pulled out, and uh, the role went to Rutger Hauer. There's a scene when Rutger Hauer slaps the horse to make it ride off with um, Philippe on it. He hit it so hard the horse took off over the hill, and Matthew Broderick was unable to stop it, so everyone had to wait for the horse to calm down. And for him to return a, a few hours later. That's both funny and also very fitting with the character of Mouse. Yes, yeah, it does fit with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Penn and Dustin Hoffman offered the role of Philippe. Really? Which is quite interesting. Yeah. I could see Dustin Hoffman doing it. Yeah, I could too. But I, I think, you know, I mean... It would know, have been a different dynamic between them all. Yeah. I mean, Matthew Broderick's career has certainly had its ups and downs. But I think in the 80s, he certainly had a streak of some really amazing movies. And I, I, he's great in those roles. And I think this is yeah. one of those roles that I don't think this movie would have worked nearly as well with a different actor in that role, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, true. And uh, one last thing as well. Uh, the relationship between Navarre and Gaston is considered a possible influence between the characters of uh, Kanan and Ezra in Star Wars Rebels. Oh, that's as cool. As they are both... Uh, they're both a knight and a thief. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Hmm. But that's uh, that's uh, Lady Hawk. Very nicely done. All right. Well, there we go. So Lady Hawk, like we said, a film that both Phil and I enjoy very much. And uh, while we're on the uh, the topic of Matthew Broderick, we may as well move into our next film, which is, of course, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to just go ahead and call it one of the greatest movies of all time, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is. It is an excellent movie. Very good. It's. It's one of my favorites, and it was, I think, um, a very important movie in the formation of my youth. And I think there was definitely a time in my life where I tried very hard to base my personality on Ferris Bueller, and I. I think to some extent that has never entirely gone away. Yeah. Um, I'm, that, that's the trouble. Do you? Because you can look at Ferris as either like a hero, uh-huh. or he's a bit. He's a bit of a bit of a pain uh, yeah a few different ways of looking at him it depends i always looked at him as a bit of a hero a bit of a cool guy yeah totally but uh it's you could you could understand why some kids wouldn't like him i i guess i don't know i, I can see why adults wouldn't like him but i i think as a kid man i worshipped the idea of ferris bueller like i wanted to be him in the worst way and i probably part of me still does you know so but well there's, there's other people that will like him uh uh, the Sportos, the Motorheads, the Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, Wastoids, Dreebs and Dickheads, they all adore him. Right. Because <laughs> I think they all think he's a righteous dude. That's right. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, this is uh, this is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and um, uh, let's let's go ahead and jump into it. Phil, why don't you go ahead and run down the story for those, okay. for those few people who either haven't seen it, which I hope isn't very many, or at least maybe haven't seen it in a while and just need a quick refresher. 
Yes. Okay, so uh, first Bueller's Day Off, directed by John Hughes, made in 1986, starring Matthew Broderick, Mia Sarah, and Alan Rook. Uh, it's Chicago. First Bueller fakes being ill to skip school. His younger sister, Jeannie, played by Jennifer Grey, doesn't believe him. The dean of the school, Ed Rooney, played by Jeffrey Jones, thinks Ferris is playing truant. But Ferris alters the school records uh, on the computer as uh, Ed Rooney is talking to Ferris's mum. Nine times. Nine uh, Fer- times? Nine times. <laughs> Ferris gets his friend Cameron, played by Alan Rook, to call the school. He'll keep calling me, he'll keep calling me. Uh, love it. Rooney! So, so <laughs> you call me, sir, goddammit! <laughs> and a bit when Ferris calls up and it's just, he's just panicking his face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he gets his friend to call the school and say the first girlfriend, Sloane Peterson, played by Mia Sara, to say that her grandmother has died. Do you have Which a kiss her. for daddy? <laughs> so that's how it is in their family. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Ferris convinces Cameron to let him borrow Cameron's father's 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California Spider. Uh, it takes a bit of convincing, but he manages it, and they pick up Sloan from school and go sightseeing in Chicago. Uh, while there, they narrowly avoid Ferris's dad and Ed Rooney. Ferris poses as the Sausage King of Chicago and sings Twist and Shout in a Parade. Jeannie gets arrested and meets Charlie Sheen, and the Ferrari gets trashed, leading Cameron to stand up to his father, and Ferris manages to make it home in time, and his sister covers for him when Rooney turns up. And that's a brief version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can only do so much to summarize a movie like that, yeah. which isn't really about yeah. story, but just, you know, great moments and great characters. But yeah, nicely done, though, Phil. Nicely done. Thank you very much. There's just so many quotes. They just want to quote all the things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just sit here and do Ferris Bueller quotes for the entire episode. <laughs> oh, you're a pro, man. <laughs> the sausage king of Chicago. <laughs> very snooty. <laughs> Snooty, snotty, snooty. <laughs> That's good ah, stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, it's one of the best movies of all time. John Hughes, one of my favorites. And uh, mm. it just, you know, it does. there are very few movies that I like more than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay, so that's that. So what have you got for your day after his day off? All right, so here we go. Ferris gets called to Rooney's office. Rooney tells him that he knows exactly what Ferris pulled off yesterday. And he reveals that for the rest of the year, he's going to be watching him like a hawk. But not a lady hawk. Um, (laughs) Sorry, couldn't resist. (laughs) Then he drops a bomb on him. Rooney's been invited to a big educational conference in New York the following weekend, and he's been asked to bring a model student with him. He tells Ferris that he's bringing Ferris with him so he can keep an eye on him and because he knows that Ferris will hate it. (laughs) That night, Ferris has Cameron call Sloane's mother and impersonate a school official, telling her that Sloane has been invited to a college in New York for the weekend as a potential scholarship awardee. Meanwhile, Cameron's dad, which for some reason I have cast by um, as being played by Michael Douglas, is in my head. That's just sort of what I... Oh, no, I could see that. Yeah, good casting, yeah. He comes home and finds the car and the damage done, and he freaks out. But Cameron mans up and tells his dad that he's a terrible father and reveals how he really feels. In a moment of epiphany, Cameron's dad realizes that Cameron is right and decides to make amends. He has a business trip in New York City the following weekend, and he wants to bring Cameron with him so they can spend some time together and reconnect. And that's my day after. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, I think there'll be some similarities, but no, nice. I like it. All right, great. Well, what do you have for your day after then? Okay. Ferris goes to school the next day, and he's bombarded by people asking how he is. His mum and dad at first were still a bit worried about his health, but he told them he was determined to go in. Seeing Cameron's reaction to the Ferrari and his rant about his, uh, his dad 
made Faust appreciate how lucky he is with his own parents. And he vows to try and be a better person. Sloane tells him it's about time. Cameron isn't in school. His dad returned home early and a huge argument ensued. They ended up going to bed screaming at each other. The next day Cameron found his dad standing in the garage looking at the car. Before Cameron has a chance to say anything his dad speaks. I'm sorry he says. He goes on to say he didn't realise how Cameron felt and he had spent the night thinking about, about his words. He says he will try and be a better father and, and gives him a hug. However, as for the Ferrari, he says it's just a car, but Cameron will never be getting any allowance ever again. <laughs> Ed Rooney calls in sick and spends a day fishing. <laughs> That's my day after. Oh, very nice. I like that. Thank you. Very nice. So what way. have you got then? Uh, for your immediate aftermath to the right. New York. Yes, the following weekend, Ferris and Rooney end up at the convention in New York. Sloan takes a bus trip to New York and heads to the convention as well. And Cameron and his dad have a good drive out together and catch up with each other and start to rebuild their relationship. While his dad is in business meetings, however, he heads to the convention as well. While Rooney's in the bathroom, Sloan and Cameron meet up with Ferris and they quickly come up with a plan. Cameron sneaks into the bathroom and locks Rooney in his stall, while Ferris puts up an out-of-order sign on the restroom door so he won't be discovered. With Rooney stuck inside the bathroom, the three of them quickly hit the convention floor, tour the convention hall, and then leave the center altogether. Hitting the streets of New York, Ferris, Sloan, and Cameron take a whirlwind tour of the city. They visit the top of the Empire State Building, eat lunch at Tavern on the Green, where once again Ferris masquerades as Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. They ride the boat tour around the island of New York, take in a basketball game at Madison Square Garden, and take a double-decker bus tour of the city. On the tour, Ferris takes over the microphone from the tour guide and gives his own impromptu tour of Manhattan, which the crowd on the bus <laughs> loves. At the end of the day, they head back to the convention center and surreptitiously free Rooney. Rooney explodes and threatens to expel Ferris from school, but Ferris shows him all the things he did at the convention that day, sharing Polaroids he took at various booths before they left the convention, and showing him all the flyers and freebies he picked up. Rooney is apoplectic, but with no evidence of any wrongdoing, he is unable to do anything about it. It's been another successful day off for Ferris Bueller. Oh, Ferris. <laughs> okay, so how about your immediate aftermath, Phil? Okay, Ferris is true to his word. He's a better son, a better pupil, better friend, better boyfriend, and a better brother. He never misses another day of school again, and his relationship with his parents, sister Sloan and Cameron gets better and better. It also causes him to become even more popular. He also buries the hatchet with Rooney, and they end up with a grudging respect for each other. Cameron and his father are getting on better. Uh, they still have a long way to go, but they both decide to start work on restoring the Ferrari. It's never going to be as good as it was, but working on it, the, the bond between them gets better and better. School ends, Ferris and the others head off to college, and other things after college. All right. That's my immediate aftermath. Excellent. I like it. Thank you. So what have you got for your long-term bring us home Alrighty. on Ferris's day off? Okay, well, Ferris graduates from high school but decides not to go to college. He and Sloan stay together, and Cameron goes off to an Ivy League school in California, although Cameron and Ferris stay in touch and remain good friends. Cameron takes on a few of Ferris's personality traits at college and comes out of his shell a little bit and becomes extremely popular. Ferris drifts for a while, unable to live up to the potential he had as a high school student. He begins to become depressed, until one day he receives a phone call. It turns out that one of the passengers on the bus, an older lady named Mrs. Hughes, <laughs> videotaped Ferris's spiel as the tour guide with her giant video camera. She showed the tape to her son, who's a television producer in Hollywood. He invites Ferris to Hollywood for a development meeting. They hit it off, and he gives Ferris a deal for a daytime talk show, which goes on to become a massive success, along the lines of a Phil Donahue show. 
Ferris takes things in a light and funny direction, however, and it paves the way for future television talk show hosts like Ellen DeGeneres, Jimmy Fallon, and Conan O'Brien, all of whom cite Ferris as a major influence. Ah, okay. I like that. Thank you. He brings Cameron on board as a producer after he graduates college, and the show eventually wins multiple Emmys. Ferris goes on to host things like the Oscars and the Grammys and becomes a major television personality for decades to come. While he and Sloan don't get married or end up together, they remain good friends for the rest of their lives. In 2016, after 30 years on the air, Ferris receives a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and an honorary Lifetime Achievement Emmy. And in all those years of success, Ferris works hard, does a lot to raise money for charity, and becomes a great man. But he always makes sure to find time to take a day off. Because life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. <laughs> hey, bada, 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 bada. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very good. No, I like that. I could, yeah, I could see him being a, being a TV host like that. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of, like, what's a good career for Ferris. I didn't want him to end up being like a washout where he ends up working at McDonald's, mm-hmm. you know, flinging burgers. And I don't want him to be like president, you know, but I was like, what's a good career for somebody like that? And I thought television <laughs> personality, I think fits, you know, he definitely had that, that personality, you know, so I like it. Well, it, it's funny you should mention president. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's because see what you got then. Bring it home. My long term. All right. Ferris is now the president of the United States of America. <laughs> well, you just jumped right ahead there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sloan is his first lady and Cameron is his chief of staff. And he now drives his father's Ferrari. (laughs) Uh, Jeannie is a successful journalist. She has the great ability to cut through lies and all the rubbish that politicians and famous people spout. She has a great career. Ferris is a hugely successful president who has made great strides in improving the country. The economy is in great shape. People have got lots of jobs. Schools are going great. And uh, truancy has actually dropped an awful lot since he came into power. Ironic. Uh, Ed Rooney Rooney is now married to Grace. (laughs) He's proud that the president is a former pupil of his. And his memory of uh, all the troubles he had with with Ferris has, you know, obviously faded with the success he's had. One morning, Ferris calls in Cameron to the office and says, I'm taking a day off. The scene goes black just before we hear Cameron swear. (laughs) The end. (laughs) I like it. Uh, that's great. I just I love the idea of Ferris Bueller as president taking a day off. Like that could be a heck of a film. Yeah. How does he hide that? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that guy looks like the president. <laughs> Deal with the camera. That's the other guy's like. That's not the president. That's Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows what he looks like. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. Then. Very nice. All right. Well, see. So in your in your one of your endings, uh, Matthew Broderick became president, and in mine, he became a prince. So it sounds like uh, obviously Matthew Broderick is doing pretty well for himself in in our versions of the world. Yes. Yeah. He's doing doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. And the trivia I've got for this one is some interesting stuff. Yes. T- uh, Tom Skerritt, who was uh, an alien. He's not an alien. He was in no, alien, he was, in yeah. the movie. He was in the alien. film Alien. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he could be Dallas. an alien. You know. Yeah. He, we know Ridley he, Scott he is an alien, and he he directed Alien. So. <laughs> yeah. Lots of aliens. Anyway, Tom Skerritt, he was considered for the role of Rooney. Hmm. I can see it. Uh, yep. Uh, Rob Lowe, John Cusack, Jim Carrey, Johnny Depp, Tom Cruise, Robert Downey Jr. and Michael J. Fox were all considered for the role of Ferris, which uh, I, I'm glad they went with Mighty Broderick because, as you said before, I can't really see. I mean, people would have been good in it, but... Yeah, again, just like with Lady Hawk, I think Matthew Broderick really just personified this character to a T. And I I just don't think the film would have been the same with anybody else in the room. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Cindy Pickett and Lyman Ward, who played Ferris's parents, they married in real life after filming, but they divorced in 1992. 
That's too bad. Yeah. Most of the license plates on the cars are all abbreviations for titles of John Hughes films. Uh, Jeannie's car is TBC. The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club, yep. And Rooney's, Ed Rooney's was for FBDO for the first people's day off. There's a few others, but the Ferrari is the exception. That just had a standard number plate. Uh, The final scene in the garage was shot in early autumn. So each of the leaves on all the trees outside had to be painted green every morning before shooting. Oh, jeez. And then there's also... uh, Charlie Sheen played the same role. He was the guy, yeah, the... Drugs. The thief. No, thanks. I'm clean. No, I mean, yeah. are you in? <laughs> <laughs> but he he played the same role in an episode of The Goldbergs. And there's also the Fight Club theory, which uh, suggests that Ferris is a creation of Cameron's, which I kind of like, but I don't see it happening. I mean, that's it's a fun theory yeah. to apply retroactively, but clearly that's not what the movie was meant to be. Yeah, you know. yeah. Oh, but it, it's fun to look back at it and go, oh, what about this? You know? Yeah, but along similar lines, though, whenever uh, Rooney and Ferris have a conversation with each other, only one of them speaks, the other is completely silent. Ah. Mm, which I'd never could, noticed before. You could definitely read into that if you wanted to. Mm. Very interesting. Which one's the madman? <laughs> I think we all know it's Rooney. <laughs> Nine times. <laughs> Nine times. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. So that is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Those are our endings for that and for Lady Hawk. And hopefully you enjoyed them. For now, though, why don't we move on to our Mighty Morphin mini feature? All right. So, Phil, why don't you explain to people what our mini feature is today? Okay. This is called Surreal Synopses. And it's where we give well-known films uh, a new synopsis, which is true to the film, but it might not be what you expect well it's going to sound a bit different than the normal thing anyway right does that explain it i think so and then we're going to try and guess we're going to try and guess each other's films by the synopses and i do want to throw out credit uh this was a friend of the show chris charling's idea he is a uh, a good friend of the show and somebody that you will be meeting actually sooner than you think uh in in sort of a guest role so uh credit where credit is due this was his idea yes so phil why don't you start things off then see if you can give me a uh, see if I, i'll see if i can figure out your surreal synopsis okay my first one is a lost lonely child becomes friends with some hideous creatures who help him find his parents uh, let's see that sounds like it could be a lot of different movies um i keep thinking of lost creatures getting help from boy, from little kids like <laughs> et and harry and the hendersons and all that so. oh you just mentioned it was it harry and the hendersons nope or is it E.T.? E.T., yeah. He's the lost child, and the humans are hideous creatures because to uh, him, they're hideous creatures. I like it. Thank you. All right, nicely done. What's your first one? All right, so a man in love with the sound of his own voice fights demons to get the girl and save his truck. Uh, big Trouble in Little China. You got it. Oh, excellent. Very nice. Okay, my next one is a greedy town leader will stop at nothing to ensure the survival of his town, even if it means the deaths of innocents. Uh, you got me on that one, actually. Okay, do you want to know? Yeah. It was Jaws. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, you may be – I mean, I know you, I know why you left the shark out, but that's kind of a big thing. To, mm, but to it was the death of innocence. Yeah, I see. That's true. All right. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Okay. Go on. Up. All right. So a woman with a drinking problem sleeps with different men and then writes about it. Uh, woman with a drinking problem? I don't know. I can think of a sex in the city. Uh, close. It was Bridget Jones's diary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. What do you have next? Uh, I've got a whiny kid goes on a long, perilous journey to be reunited with his long lost father, but due to the meddling of another old man, the kid the kid ends up killing thousands of people. <laughs> I'm thinking Star Wars. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, here's one for you. A young man who's a bit of a mama's boy makes new friends and then loses them. 
Uh, man who's a bit of a mama's boy. Uh, no, I don't know. It's Psycho. Oh, they're very good. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I was. I mean, I loses know. them, kills them. It's kind of yeah, the same thing. I wouldn't have yeah. got that. Okay. Uh, I've got another one. A newborn, lost and alone in strange surroundings, must fight for survival while being hunted down on all sides. Hmm, Bambi? Bambi, no, no, it was Alien. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and have you got one more? Yeah, I got one more. Let's see if you can uh, if you can suss this one out. Okay. A young man with anger issues comes home to celebrate the fall equinox, but finds that nobody is happy to see him. The fall uh... An American Wolf in London? No, close. It was Halloween. Oh, Halloween, yeah, of course. I couldn't think what the full Equinox was. Oh, very good. Well, I, I was trying to figure out a way to say not to say yeah. Halloween. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that would have given it away, I think. Okay, I've got one last one if you want it. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay. A female hostage is mentally tortured by a captor. Stockholm Syndrome sets in and she becomes his lover. Oh, uh, I know this is going to be something completely ridiculous. Is it Princess Bride? No, it is Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, there you go. Good one. <laughs> Thank you very much. I like it. That was all of them. That was our surreal synopses. If you've got any that you want to share with us, get in touch on all the social media channels or the whatever, give us an email. We'll give you all the details for that later on. Yeah, we'll be happy to read some of the good ones out on the air. That'll be fun. Yeah, it was good fun doing them. I enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, they were definitely, I think we stumped each other more than I think we expected to. So yeah, it's yeah an, an interesting yeah. exercise for sure. I also found that once I started doing them, I just kept, uh, kept popping into my head. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Fun to play with them. All right, very cool. Well, let's move on then to 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, which is where we take a year from the past 100 Years of Hollywood, and Phil and I both share our top 10 films for the year. So this week we are talking about 1953. Phil, why don't you travel back in time, take the rest of us with you, and tell us what the world was like back in 1953. 1953, the Prime Minister was Winston Churchill and the President was Eisenhower. And some of the things that happened in that year, uh, Beckett's Waiting with Godot had its first public stage uh, premiere. Joseph Stalin had a stroke and died. The 25th Academy Awards took place. It was the first to be broadcast on television. Ian Fleming published his first James Bond novel, Casino Royale. Uh, the first issue of Playboy was published. Francis Crick and James Walson published a description of the dub double helix structure of DNA. Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay became the first men to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And it was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, and REM sleep was discovered. We also saw the births of Jim Jarmusch, Mary Steenbergen, William Peterson, Isabel Hooper, Tony Blair, Pierce Brosnan, Danny Elfman, Tim Allen, Yahoo Serious, who wow. didn't realise was that old, yeah. uh, Cole Meany, Kim Basinger, James Raymar, Peter Firth, James Horner, Hulk Hogan, and Cindy Lauper, and deaths... Uh, Hank Williams died, and I think that was a big enough death for that. That's sure. 1953. All right, very nice. It was sort of a good year for films. There's quite a few I'd seen. Uh, a mix, quite a mix, mixed bag of films, but uh, what have you got for your number 10? All right, well, you know I like to always throw in one unconventional pick, so yeah. my number 10 is called Ben and Me. It is a 21-minute short film by, of course, Walt Disney. Ah. And... It is the story of uh, Benjamin Franklin. It's sort of an educational animated tale with uh, a, a mouse and Benjamin Franklin, and it sort of you know tells his story. And 
it's one of those ones that, you know, I just have fond memories of watching it when I was young. You know, I watched a lot of these Disney uh, movies and, and cartoons and things like that. And this is one of those ones where as soon as I saw the images of Ben Franklin and the mouse, it took me right back to my childhood. So I had yeah. to squeak it in the list, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> it's squeaked in at number 10. Okay. Very good. My number 10 is the polar opposite to that. It is House of Wax. Mm, yes. The, uh, the 3D horror film about the uh, disfigured sculptor whose wax museum was destroyed and he ends up uh, kidnapping people and turning them into wax figures. Kills them, covers them in wax and puts them on display. So the wonderful Vincent Price. And it was a remake of an earlier film, 1933, called Mystery of the Wax Museum, which I've not seen. Right. And it was also made in 2005 with House of Wax, which starred Paris Hilton. Uh, that remake, 2005, was dreadful, but the 1953 one is uh, really good. Vincent Price... It's always fun to watch. He, even when he's hamming it up, it's still good. And it's oh, uh, yeah. some nice creative deaths. Well, I will say I, I've actually never seen the original uh, House of Wax, mm-hmm. but I have seen the remake. And I agree with you. It's not very good at all. But it did make me realize something. Never before in my life did I realize how much I didn't want to die by being covered in hot wax yeah, uh, until yeah. I saw that movie. Then I realized, like, that's not a way I want to go. So no, now I know. Uh, it's quite now horrific. I yeah. So I feel like it was educational in that respect. <laughs> it's always good to rule out a way you, <laughs> right. you, you know right. you don't want to die. Definitely can say, don't want to die by being covered in hot wax. <laughs> yeah. That is for sure. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, my number nine is Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, this is obviously uh, we've visited these two before. Yeah. As we know, I'm a big Abbott and Costello fan. I loved when they crossed over with the Universal Monsters. So this one also stars the great Boris Karloff. And uh, like most of the Abbott and Costello films, it's just a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it and especially enjoyed it as a kid. So that is my number nine. No, oh, very good. Okay, well, my number nine, it's uh, its a musical, which is unusual for me. That is unusual for you. Yeah, there's actually a couple in there, my top ten this, this year. But it's uh, By the Light of the Silvery Moon, stars uh, Doris Day, and it was a sequel to On Moonlight Bay. Uh, it's basically just about the Winfield family in small town Indiana. Lots of singing, lots of stuff going on. It's its cheesy, but I don't know where... I think I saw them when I was quite young, and uh, all the Doris Day films sort of just stayed with me. It just makes me feel happy. That works, yeah. 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 yeah, it's not a film I'm really familiar with, to be honest with you, but it sounds interesting. But, uh, yeah, well, there you go. That's my number nine. All right. Well, my number eight is – okay, so this won't be a surprise, but in a way it is a surprise. And that is okay. because it is Walt Disney's Peter Pan. Now, oh, I say yeah. it's not a surprise because obviously we all know I like Disney films. But I will say that Peter Pan is probably my least favorite Disney film of all of them. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the reason for that is I, I really hate Peter Pan himself. Like he – Oh, yeah annoys me to no end every time he's on screen i want to punch him in the face so why then do you ask would it make my list even at number eight and it's because even though i can't stand peter pan the film has some really great iconic moments you know i love the tiktok clock i love dr hook and smee and you know their whole interplay and so to me i just watch it and i root for captain hook usually when i watch it you know (laughs) Uh, you know it's got the, the the flying sequence which as a kid you know you can really get into and you know the whole pirate ship in the stars and everything i mean it's it's it is still to this day in my opinion the best version of the peter pan story yeah i just don't generally like the peter pan story all that much but if i'm going to watch one this is going to be the one that i will pick uh i just you know try not to pay too much attention when peter pan himself is actually on screen peter pan yeah it's not my list i know what you mean about the character i've never liked him yeah, he's just such an obnoxious little yeah. brat. I always get the feeling he could be killing the Lost Boys. That's why they never <laughs> age. He's always just stealing new ones. Right. <laughs> and then killing the older ones. There you go, making sort of... everyone a serial killer again, yeah. Phil. Oh, yeah. Oh, crap. I didn't even mean that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Uh, my number eight is, it's another Doris Day musical. It's Calamity Jane, based on the Wild West heroine Calamity Jane and her romance with Wild, well, the alleged romance between her and Wild Bill Hickok. Uh, Doris Day is Jane and how it kill was Hickok. And it's uh, quite funny. Uh, some great songs. And it's it's a Western musical. I, li- I do like a Western. Surprised that I like musicals, but as I said, got a thing for Doris Day films, which surprised me, really. It wasn't until I was doing 1953 I realised that. So right. there you go, yeah. All right, Plenty good choice. I, uh, I didn't put that on my list because I've actually never seen it, but it is one of those movies I've always kind of been interested in because I do like Doris Day, and, yeah. and you know, yeah. I thought that sounded like an interesting one. Yep, that's that. So we're going on to number seven. Yes, my number seven is The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which is a, a great you know old-school monster flick uh, with great special effects by Ray Harryhausen and starring pretty much no one you've ever heard of with the exception of Lee Van Cleef in a supporting role. But, uh, you know, I just love these old movies. I watched them a lot when I was a kid. You know, it, it doesn't really you know, stand up to what, you know, you can do today, special effects wise, but that's part of the charm is that, that great stop motion animation by Ray Harryhausen. And, yeah. uh, you know, I just, I, I enjoy these movies. They're fun and they're silly and they're, you know, light, nothing too heavy. So, uh, so there you go. Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It's a lot of fun. Well, my number seven is also the Beast of 20,000 Fathoms. <laughs> nice. Very yes, good. Yes. Cause it was sort of, uh, it was a toss between that and War of the Worlds, but cause it's Ray Harryhausen, that one out. And, uh, makes so- sense. That got in there. Uh, it's based on a short story, I think, by Ray Bradbury. But it's, uh, yeah, it's as you say, it's the film itself. The story's not that that big a deal, but it's uh, it's all because of Ray Harryhausen. It's it's just really good. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, my number six then is Titanic, starring Clifton Webb, Barbara Stanwyck, and Robert Wagner. And um, you know, I, I, if I'm being honest, I probably like the film more because it's about the Titanic than because it's a great film. But it is the first yeah. movie I ever remember watching about the Titanic. And um, as a kid, I was completely obsessed with the Titanic. I, I, I read every book I could find in the library on it. Any any kind of TV or movie I could find that was a, about the Titanic, I would always watch it. I was just totally fascinated by it. So, um, so this is the you know the classic version of the tale, uh, and um, you know it's uh, it's a pretty good flick overall. It's a pretty straightforward retelling with obviously the dramatic you know characters on board and their drama and stuff. Not unlike James Cameron's version, although. Also very unlike James Cameron's version, if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it's just uh, – it's it's kind of just a neat different era's look at, you know, one of the most famous disasters of all time. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've seen that version, but I know what you mean about the Titanic. It does – I think it just captures the imagination of kids. Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah. Yeah, my number six is Shane, the, uh, the Western directed by George Stevens uh, based on the 1949 novel. And it stars Alan Ladd as Shane – uh, a gunfighter with a mysterious past, he rides into the town and helps some lo- some ranchers fight the bad guys. Uh, it's got some iconic moments in, you know, at the, the end. Shane, Shane, all that stuff. It's a very good film. It's got Jack Palance in and lots of other faces you'll, you'll recognize from films of that era. And it's a, it's a Western classic. Good choice. Good choice. Thank you. All right. Well, my number five is The Wild One, starring Marlon Brando in one of his most iconic roles and uh, pretty much the movie that made him a star. And for good reason. He plays the, the you know, the tough, you know, leader of a motorcycle gang, but with a heart of gold. And, uh, you know, the movie itself isn't the greatest movie ever. I mean, it is fun to watch and it is kind of it does have some cool moments and stuff, but it's it's a little cheesy at places and a little heavy handed at places. But uh, Brando's just phenomenal. 
panel in it. And it's, you know, I mean, it's the kind of role where you see somebody in it and, you know, you look back at it now in retrospect and go, well, it's obvious why the movie made him a star because his performance is just, it's just magnetic. And he's, you know, every moment he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off of him. So uh, for that reason, it's my number five. Well, I have to hold my hand up and say I've never seen it. I've always meant Uh, to. I've just never got around to seeing it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a good film. It's not one of those movies I think you're going to be like, oh, this is my new favorite movie. But just for Brando alone, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'm really must because it's one of those ones. It's on. It's always on the list of, of big films and things. Yeah, he's was, he's just what, so cool. In yeah. it. I mean, I've seen clips of him. And, you know, right, he's he right. cool. He's just had the, it's funny, isn't it? Some actors just have that charisma where you just can't take your eyes off them when they're on screen. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Okie doke. So my number five is uh, The Wages of Fear. I think we mentioned this was last week. Yeah, we mentioned it just last episode. You yeah, because it's, uh, it's another film based on the 1950 French novel La Salaire de la Peur, The Salary of Fear, by Georges Arnaud. It's the one about uh, a, a group of down-on-the-look men who drive in trucks over perilous mountain roads uh, carrying a cargo of nitroglycerin. Stars Yves Montagne, Charles Vanel, uh, and it's directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau. It's as with Sorcerer. It's just tense, dramatic. Uh, it's all about these men trying to survive, trying to make it through. It's just nail biting. All right. Well, my number four is Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, starring Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. Uh, so I guess I got a musical on my list too. Actually, come to think of it, um, it is a a comedy, a musical comedy. Although it's kind of a light musical. Like there's a handful of musical numbers, but it's not one of those ones where it's like constantly music do you know yeah, what i mean yeah and, and a lot of the ones are their their musical numbers because they're performers so it's as opposed to people just breaking out into song yeah um but you know marilyn monroe is is always of course classic and jane russell's terrific in the film and it does have that just completely famous sequence with marilyn monroe in the pink dress with all the guys in the diamonds that madonna so famously oh, paid yeah. homage to in the material girl video so if you've seen that video this is the movie where it came from and madonna did a great job of recreating it almost move for move so um it's just it's a fun movie you know it's 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 got some great music in it and like i said the performances are good and it, it, it's i don't know just a really enjoyable film it's one of those films that's very lighthearted, and you watch it and you smile and you well, know, it's a good time yeah it's it's also my number four wow we're on point this week huh i didn't even consider it as a music well it's i know it's as you say it's not a typical musical right so when i said i had two musicals i've actually got three musicals but i didn't think of it. <laughs> but yes uh, it's okay i won't tell anyone phil yeah. don't worry you're secret safe it. three, yeah three musicals i'm on yeah yeah. God, yes, it's directed by Howard Hawks, and as you say, it's got, it's got some some brilliant moments. Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell are just gorgeous and just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. terrific in it, for Lots sure. Jane Russell really lights up the screen, too. Yeah. Oh, so that was our number four, both number four. Hey, we've had two. Two, I know, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Okay, we're into our top three now. All right, well, I know my top three isn't going to be one of yours because you mentioned it and discarded it. And it is The War of the Worlds. Yes. I have always been a huge War of the Worlds fan. I uh, I first heard the radio broadcast on cassette tape. Now I'm dating myself. When I was a kid, my parents, my dad, I think, brought it home and played it for us. And I was completely fascinated by it, just really taken in by it, even though I knew that it was, you know, they explained to me what it was. So I knew the context of how it was this radio broadcast. People thought it was real, but I just thought it was amazing. And so I read the book and then I tracked down this movie. And I remember watching this movie and, um, you know, it's it's just a, a cool science fiction movie and it's you know when you're a kid just watching those martian ships coming and everything it it, you know 
it's it's really great. It does have some pacing issues when you watch it now as an adult, but it still is an indelible part of my childhood. And I just always love – to me, War of the Worlds is sort of the, the classic blueprint for the you know alien invasion movie. So yeah, this yeah. one's always going to be high on my list. Yeah. Well, I say it almost made my list. And as you say, I always like the story as well. Yep. It's uh, – it's great, and there's. I don't know you mean about the pacing in this this film, but I quite like the uh, the designs of the of the alien when you finally see them. Yeah, and the fact yeah. Because they haven't got the tripods, have they? Like more like hover, right? Hovercraft, aren't they? I always I always love that and the sound of the. Uh, yeah. The. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, the gun. Yep. Uh, yeah. What, what do they call it? The death ray, heat ray, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, but it's uh, it's it's a good one. Uh, not as good as some of the, the following ones. I've, what do you think of the uh, the Tom Cruise version? I actually really don't like it. Don't you? I yeah. liked. I felt it was too much focusing on the one person. It should have been. Yeah, it's mostly just Tom Cruise running for yeah, two hours. Yeah. That's really my big problem with it. And I like Tom Cruise, but really the whole film is just, you know, aliens blowing stuff up and Tom Cruise running for, for yeah. two hours. I, I felt like for being Cruise and Spielberg together, it, it should have is, been a lot better, yeah. Yeah, it should have been better than it was. Yeah, there's some opinion. nice set pieces. Like some of the scenes were like the chain going past on fire, I like that. But. Yeah, right. I mean, it has yeah. some good moments, you know. And that, that first initial attack sequence is really is really good, but then it just yeah, sort of becomes yeah. like kind of mind numbing because it's sort of the same thing over and over again, you know. Yeah, and then it um, slows right down, doesn't it, with that Tim Robbins bit? Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah. So not not a great film in my opinion. Yeah. My number three is Tokyo Story. It's a Japanese drama directed by Yasuhiro Ozu, uh, who's a great director, and it basically it's talk it's a tale of a family, an aging couple, who go to travel to Tokyo to visit their children who are now grown up. And it compares the uh, the children who are too busy to pay, you know, to, to spend any time with the parents and they've got their life to, they're trying to deal with that. And their, their widowed daughter-in-law who treats them with lots of kindness and looks after them. And it's, it's not, it's, it's a beautiful film. It's just about family and it's just like moments and talking and sitting, eating and things like that. It's nothing... Nothing much happens, but everything happens, if you know what I mean. It's one of those kind of films. But it's stunningly shot, uh, looks looks beautiful, and the acting's sublime, and it's well worth checking out if you've not seen it. I have not seen it, actually, so yes. I will definitely track it down. It's a true classic. Very cool. It's the one I'm familiar with, and I know there's yeah, one yeah. that has, you know, is very held in very high regard, so I yeah, definitely yeah. do want to see it. So that's my number three. So where are we up to with uh, your number two? All right, well, my number two is... The Great Roman Holiday, starring Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. Uh, and it's about an Italian princess who basically wants to take a day off. It's kind of like the precursor yeah. to Ferris Bueller's Day Off there. in a way. Um, and it's this great, you know, it's this great comedy. And, I mean, Audrey Hepburn is her first film and she's magical in it. And what really stood out for me, though, and I just watched it recently, is Gregory Peck, who always played such serious roles. You know, and in this film, he plays kind of yeah. this uh, this reporter who's a little bit of a, you know, kind of a slick, you know, talks his way out of trouble type of thing, you know. Yeah, it was a little bit different for lots of yeah, other roles. Yeah, and it? he's fantastic in it, though. I really yeah. like him in the role. I think he's great. He's got a real nice light touch to it, you know. So um, it's just it's just one of those films that, you know, to me is just magical and fun and charming and you know it's two great actors uh in in great roles and uh i love it so yeah. that's my number two well uh, it was also my number two all right yeah, i wish i could say i'm surprised but clearly we are on the same page yeah. this week but it's uh as you say everything you said is is great yeah it's also won hepburn won the academy award for best actress for it right and also won an award for the screenplay and costume design mm-hmm uh, Dalton Trumbo we wrote it with John Dighton and it's yeah it's a great film well acted and it's got that ending as well yeah a bit of a different ending right, for right. One, the typical kind of movie yeah it's maybe maybe one we should do an after the ending on 
Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, actually. Where it does end. Yeah, I'd like that. Mm. But yeah, great film. Uh, and as you say, Audrey Hepburn is just stunningly good. Well, yeah. Stunning in looks and stunningly good in acting as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. And Gregory Peck is just cool. Yeah, yeah, he really is. That's it. Oh, very so good. So yeah, number two, that's, uh, yeah, we've been quite serious. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens with number one. Now, I think mm. maybe I went a little different direction than you, um, but we'll see. Okay. All right. Well, my number one is The Big Heat, starring Glenn Ford and Gloria Graham and directed by the great Fritz Lang. And it is one of the prototypical film noir movies um, considered by some people to be the first great film noir movie. And uh, I've always enjoyed the, the, the sort of film noir genre as it was. And this one is, to me, one of the best. It's a really dark film. Uh, Glenn Ford plays this policeman who's, uh, who's trying to bring down the mob, who's you know kind of got their fingers into everything. And there's just this brutal scene where the mobster throws acid in his girlfriend's face, which is just this really, you know, kind of uh, shocking moment, especially for 1953. And um, it's like I said, it's just this dark film. It's really tense and and really well acted and well written. And uh, it's just a a really cool movie. And it really, if if you're not familiar with with film noir or if it's something you want to explore more, it's not the most famous film in that genre, but it's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best. And I think one of the best representations of what the genre has to offer so the big heat is my number one very good it's uh i wasn't sure to have that on my list I'm, i think i've seen it a long long time ago but i couldn't remember for definite right right and i didn't want to put it in just in case but uh sure. it's uh i'll need to check it out again because it's i do like a good film noir yeah it's good stuff to do that. so obviously it's not my number one but my number one is a war film stalag 17 ah uh, yes it's produced and directed by Billy Wilde and stars William Holden, Don Taylor, Robert Strauss, Neville Brand, Peter Graves, Otto Preminger, plays the camp commandant. It's basically about a group of American airmen. They're in a German World War II prisoner of war camp. They realise or begin to suspect that one of them is actually an informer to the Germans. And it's just brilliant. I remember seeing it a long time ago. It must have been a, on a weekend or something. And first, I was young as well, thinking, I don't want to watch this. A bunch of people stuck in prison. But then it's because <laughs> it's, it's quite funny as well, the way it's right. done. Because right. they're trying to they're trying to find ways to fill the time and make it more bearable, and uh, William Holden is cool, because he's the one everybody initially suspects, and because because he's he's not going to bow down to anyone, and he's he's the one who can get always he always has all the everything you need, you know he gets right. the food, he gets the the bits and pieces, and there's always one in a prison movie. Yeah, of course, of course. But it's uh, it's well acted. It keeps you guessing. Uh, it looks amazing as well. It just gives it gives you a feel. Well, I say looks amazing because it gives you this feel of what. A, what it could have been like in a one of these camps, right? But it's a uh, well acted, well written, and uh, a classic, a classic war movie. But often very quite funny. All right, excellent choice, very nice. Yes. So okay. that was my number one. Very good. Well, that is 1953 then. That's our top 10 films, our 100 years of Hollywood. And with that, I think it is time to start wrapping things up then. So, yes. Phil, uh, why don't you give people just a hint of what we have coming next week? Because we have something a little special. Well, next week it is a very special episode. But not uh, in like that, you know, next on a very yeah. special episode of Facts of Life kind of way, well, you know. Uh, on, on next week's episode, I will be played by a guest actor. <laughs> That's right. Yes. That's right. But, but not in the way people think. Yes. I think. So. It's, it's only because it takes place all in America. That's right. And I am in the UK. Yes. So was unable to be there. 
That's right. That's right. Mm. So we're going to leave it on that mysterious note. But join us next dun, week. Dun, dun. We'll have <laughs> a, a very special episode of After the Ending. And I think that people will enjoy it. It's something a little different, but it's a lot of fun. And, Although fans, uh, fans of me, me might not enjoy it as right. much. But you're going to pop up too, though. You're, it won't be a completely fill-less episode. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll be like the framing device. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So yeah. a little something for everybody next yeah. week. I've, I've already heard it, though. And it's very good. It's lots of fun. Well, on that note, then, Phil, why don't you tell people how they can get a hold of us if they would like to? Yeah, well, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can drop us a line. If you just search for After the Ending, it'll come up. And also on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. You can find us on all of them. And you can also send us an email at aftertheending at verizon.net to reach out to us directly as well. Keep those comments and emails coming. We love to hear them. So, as always, we thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. All right. Well, it's not too, too different. I, I wish I'd thought of that. Um, well, never mind. I'm going to take a strike of that because I did think of it in a different way. So I'll be quiet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Navarre fills the king on uh, meh. Well, Navarre fills the king in on a. Uh, he, 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 he. Okay. Yeah. 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 But you think it's. Uh, I think we got to this doing a podcast though, because you know we didn't have some snot nose punk leaving my cheese in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> that, that quote made no sense in the film. Right. It made no sense then. Right. Exactly. <laughs> While his dad is in business meet, business meetings. Why can't I say that? <laughs> business meetings. Right? While his dad is in business meetings, however... Now I lost my place on the page. Uh, <laughs> here we go. One more time. While his dad is in business meetings, however... That was my email. Can I just keep doing this over and over again? It's Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah. It's cold out there. <laughs> Phil? <laughs> Phil? <laughs> Um, and so speaking of things that fascinated me as a child, I have always been a huge Lord of the, uh, Lord of the Rings. Where did that come from? <laughs> I have not always been a huge Lord of the Rings fan, actually. I wasn't a fan of that until the movies came out. So, okay. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.